saving 20% for a home deposit seems like a pipe dream these days. Even saving 10% is a huge ask. That's where getting parental or government help can be a godsend. But how do you go about it? Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to move it along and become homeowners. But most importantly, it is for home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mum. And that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 45 years experience to share with you and bucket loads of stories and avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure you get unbiased and real information you can rely on. We've got loads of free tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll get access to our free webinar, how to buy your first home with the right amount of debt. You'll also find the holy grail of home buying education, your first home buyer guide, the online course of people who want to be educated home buyers. We have created this for you to help you get on the right path to home ownership for your first home and beyond. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You, of course, know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field who takes the time to understand your personal situation. We've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change rapidly. So always check with the relevant government authority or your trusted advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today we have a guest expert and we'll be talking about guarantor loans and the federal government's deposit guarantee scheme. These are two options that first home buyers might be able to access to help them get on the property ladder sooner. But before we introduce our guest, what is your special house this week, Megan? It's finally done. This is my home that you've been watching for the past 12 months. Yes, it's been 12 months since I actually pulled the thing apart and put it back together again. There you go. Garage door went on yesterday. The plants are in and we are loving life. So if anyone has not listened to this podcast before and not tuned in, you won't realise that Megan usually has a house behind her in the video. So a lot of people do listen <laughs> on podcasts, your, your favourite podcast app. Some people do listen on YouTube and watch on YouTube. If you are, you can tune in and have a look at what Megan uh, has been working on. for the. How long did the build take? Uh, it was 10 months. I've been back in for three. The little bits and pieces had to be finished along the way. But just, um, you know, we're, we're on a first time by a podcast here. So this is house number nine for me. This has been a stepping stone strategy for me. This is not where you start generally, uh, but it can be where, where you, you end up. Maybe Who I knows? Do- this may not be the end up either. I'm this- also looking forward to an apartment at South Bank one I day. I know. I'm, I'm already talking about um, uh, downsizing to an apartment. And if anyone's interested in my renovation journey, it's four years old now, but I've got all the photos. I'm quite happy to do the same. We can flip it if people are interested. If they're not, <laughs> don't worry. I won't bore you. We can continue with Megan's crazy uh, houses in the video behind her. All right. <laughs> so... Our guest today is Michael Nasser. He's a mortgage broker and a first home buyer specialist at Lens Street. So thank you so much for joining us today, Michael. Thank you for having me. It's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. And congratulations, Megan, on the house being complete. I can imagine that was uh, pretty uh, pretty epic. Um, I'm actually building a house at the moment, so I, ah. I do understand a little bit of, uh, of, of the hassles and the and the headaches and, and the heartaches, but um, congratulations. Looks thank wonderful. Thank you. Look, I love it. I've, I'm 
already ready for my next project. So <laughs> bring it on. I, I quite love the process. Classy. And I hope yours goes smoothly too. Fingers crossed. So far, so good. All right. Well, today we're covering off two ways in which first home buyers can get into the property market or onto the ladder with a small deposit or even no deposit in some cases. So let's start with the government's deposit guarantee scheme, which was launched in 2020, if I have it correct. Uh, Michael, can you explain how this works? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a great question. It's a great uh, scheme. Um, I, I guess to take it back a little bit, um, um, a lot of first-time buyers do struggle with that first with the deposit component of the purchase. Um, it obviously forms one component, the other part being the 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 funds that you do need to borrow. But deposit for first-time buyers is is always challenging, especially if you're in the capital cities like Sydney, Melbourne, and, and Brisbane and the like. Um, so um, a few years ago, obviously the government identified this as an issue, um, and in order to stimulate, I guess, some more first-time buyer activity, they introduced what's now called the first home guarantee. It was previously known as the first home loan, uh, sorry, the first home loan deposit scheme. Um, so it's obviously as the first home guarantee. It's a little bit easier to say, um, and it, it effectively allows first home buyers with deposits as low as five percent to qualify for a home loan. And here's the main thing: without paying lender's mortgage insurance, it's a scheme that that enables first home buyers to save that five percent. They they do generally need to save a little bit more than five percent because if there is some stamp duty um, and some other fees payable that also has to be factored in, but effectively it allows the 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 um you know the individual to save or or the couple to save five percent and then proceed to purchase um, without having to pay um uh, LMI. So that's wonderful, but what I know is that there's only a certain amount of places. But how do you qualify? Because the thing, I guess, the thing with um, when you're borrowing a larger mortgage so you've got a small deposit which means you're borrowing a lot of money um you've yep. got to have good incomes so correct yeah yeah how do you qualify for this so so basically to and and the qualification rules have been relaxed um and that was because in the last so this particular scheme runs financial year to financial year so first of july of this year it rolled over now in in the last financial year they actually didn't use up all the spots there are um, there are a number of allocations that are used. They weren't all used. And so this year, they actually relaxed the, the rules around it, 1st of, of July, 2023. But effectively, the main factors are, uh, you if you're a single applicant, you've got to earn less than $125,000 per annum. Um, and if you're a, a couple, it's $200,000. It is a limitation. And there are applications that we go through where obviously the individuals or the couple are do exceed that particular threshold um and if they do then obviously it's not eligible they're not eligible it, it is a black and white rule there is no gray and the way that they use that is they look at your last year's tax returns or they look at the tax returns for that financial year and even if it's and i had a client recently that was only about a hundred dollars over um and they were not yeah so what was it combined so it was, yeah it's a hard yeah. and fast rule so two hundred thousand dollars there were there were 200 combined it was two hundred thousand and 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 a hundred it was basically like you're over and you can't apply for it so it is a limitation in that instance they were fortunate enough to have a um, parental guarantor scheme available to them and so that's obviously something that we'll speak about a little bit later on um but in that instance in this particular scheme uh, that's the case now the rules were relaxed slightly this financial year as i've mentioned to allow more people to take it up and in the past you you did have to be in relationship a couple um but now it can be friends that that you know that form part of that application it could be siblings um, or other groups of family members that can join. Um, it also can be for first, so it's not just, it is for first home buyers predominantly, obviously, and wholly. However, you are also eligible if you haven't purchased a property in the last 10 years. 
So, so it is also, so they've, they've relaxed it a little bit that way. Um, and the other thing that. Can I just seek clarification on that one? Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you haven't purchased a property in the last 10 years or if you, ha if you owned. haven't owned. Owned. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Correct. So if you haven't owned property in the last 10 years, so obviously you, you can't Investment have purchased property, something. Investment property, home. Correct. Yeah. Anything yeah like sorry. That. Yeah. Yep. No, no. Good pick up. Yeah. So you can't have owned a property for the last, um, um, or owned a, any property for the last 10 years. So in that instance, you'd be able to do it. Um, the biggest one where I've seen it's it's really opened it up is um, in the past you had to be an Australian citizen to be eligible uh, and 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 currently um, now it's it is available to Australian permanent residents as well. Um, so so they're the main things. I, I guess the main criteria with this particular scheme that is uh, going to affect people on a daily basis is the the income threshold. Um, and also there are some perhaps on on purchase prices dependent on location. So whether it's in the regional areas or you know, in the city, there are some caps there that you need to be aware of. So that that's a really good point because a lot of the schemes do have um, limitations on what it is you can buy. So I really want to tease this out because this is what, one of the few schemes that Veronica and I actually like um, because it doesn't force you to buy brand new. No, absolutely not. There is no emphasis on brand new. Um, th this along with obviously the... the um, uh, the stamp duty exemption rules are are, are the two rules or, or, the, or the two main uh, incentives that uh, don't focus on on new builds or or, or buying you know I guess home uh, home, home home grants. Um, and, Although and you're talking about New South Wales, there correct when you said the stamp duty exemptions. Concession? Yeah, oh, the stamp duty concessions are obviously Australia wide. Um, so in 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 New South Wales, obviously, if you're spending eight hundred thousand dollars or less, you are stamp duty exempt in. Queensland, I believe it's five hundred thousand dollars. There's different concessions depending on whether yeah. it's city There's or like, yeah. So it does change state to yeah. state. State yeah. to state, it's different. That stamp yeah. duty concession, yeah, as does this particular first home guarantee scheme. So the the easiest way to to know exactly what is uh, applicable for your region is to is to jump onto the National Housing Finance and Investment Corporation, um, the the NHFIC. Um, so website, uh, they have a calculator, uh, they have a tool, a postcode tool, and you can put your postcode in and it'll tell you what the maximum purchase um, uh, price could be, whether it's 600000 or $700,000 in terms of being uh, eligible for the scheme. So that, see with your income being one component, that is another limitation potentially as well that may come into play. And that website's housingaustralia.gov.au. We will make sure we put the link put to that in the show, in the show notes because that's a yeah. mouthful, that one. And if you're trying to write that down, don't worry. We'll put it in the show notes so you can just click on it. That's really great background information for people, Michael. How many places are there? There's, per year, there's about 35,000. In terms of what's left, I wouldn't be sure. However, um, there is availability right now, and there, and there was last year. So, so um, w and and this particular scheme, I guess another important note to make is it's not available through all lenders. Obviously, we've we're focused on the deposit side of okay. things, which is okay. you know need the needing to save five percent, which is another criteria, obviously, that we need need to have achieved. Um, um, but not all lenders can do this. So, um, there are about thirty lenders, um, which is still so there is a substantial amount that do offer it. Okay. Um, now these lenders also have places as well. So. Sometimes one lender might exhaust their allocation, um, but another lender might have an allocation too. So if you're applying through a broker, um, they'll obviously be aware as to who are the lenders that, that, that work in conjunction with this scheme. Uh, and then obviously they will, uh, they will help you, assist, assist you in reserving your spot. That's part of the application process. Um, and then they will um, enable you to do the pre-approval with that, I guess, that scheme as part of the application process. 
Now, we're fans of using brokers, and this sounds like another reason why you would, um, because they're going to shortcut the process of working out which of those 30 lenders still have spots and then which yep. of those lenders have products that actually would yep. suit you and then which of those lenders wouldn't see you as a good, good, lending uh, yeah. a good type of customer you. for them. So there's quite a lot of those. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but the thing there, like, so, and, and so I'm guessing, so really we talk behind, between the lines here to think that obviously if you go for your pre-approval sooner in the financial year, it's going to be better because it would give you more options. And once you've got a spot, is it sort of held for the whole year? It, 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 this, yeah, so it's a good question. The spot generally runs in conjunction with your, your pre-approval. Um, if we need to extend the pre-approval, we, we can use that same position. As to how long and the maximum, the year I would imagine would be the case. I've never been in a situation where, where we had to, um, I, I guess, use the maximum length of time. Uh, it hasn't been an inquiry I've come across. Um, but I, I would imagine it would run in line with the financial year as well because it will roll over the following year. Um, if not, or it wouldn't roll over the following year, I assume. But we'll have to confirm that. Um, but in terms of, it's I, I probably, I guess in principle what you're saying there is right. I mean, if you're doing it at the beginning of the financial year, so... Um, then you will have all the options because uh, all the lenders will have all the allocations basically zeroed off. Um, but I think there, are, from from our point of view, there are enough lenders at play that will be able to find uh, the right lender for you the particular time that's best for you to find that that loan. Obviously, as you've alluded to, um, having the scheme available is one thing, but then finding a lender that meets your criteria or your your particular set of circumstances, whether you're self-employed or whether it's fair YG, whether you're getting majority of your income through bonuses or whatever that may be. And obviously every lender has has a particular nuances with those particular little factors that may determine where it goes to. Um, and obviously rate is is, is another major in, incentive. Um, so the earlier on you are, yeah, it would, make, it would make sense. But for me, it's not really something that I would be too fussed about um, because in my experience, in the last couple of years, um, and last year in particular, it didn't exhaust, so there were still heaps of positions in, uh, available. And from all accounts this year, although they've opened up the scheme, it's it's still massively available. So all the lenders that I'm aware of that I've been working with still have it in play at the moment. Uh, and there hasn't been any alerts to us that, you know, we're running low or anything like that. It's quite still positive in that regard. So. So reading why. between the lines, I, I, I sort of hear, and and it's you know really reflects what Veronica and I teach in your first home buyer guide, and that is, don't rush. What I'm hearing from you is you don't have to rush and feel like you have to jump in to get this. It is about when you're ready financially to to move forward and get that pre-approval because pre-approvals only last ninety days. Um, and it's securing the spot, but not being ready to buy in that ninety odd days or so, give or take. Um, it might actually, you know, put a lot of pressure on you. One, <laughs> when you're not ready to actually move forward with the purchase, or make a bad decision and purchase the wrong property. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's no rush, and I, I work predominantly with first home buyers, and that's the first thing I'll always say to them as well. Is like, this is not a race. <laughs> um, there are there are options. Um, uh, and and let's take our time here to figure out what's going to be right for you. Um, and invariably, first home buyers do need a lot of um, explaining with what I mean, just the home loan itself, let alone the particular yeah. scheme and how it works mm. and how it operates. So there's definitely no, there's no, there's no as it's as it stands today, and as it's been for the last year and a half, there's never there hasn't been a need to rush it. Now that may change potentially if we get notification that spots are low, that it's and that can happen as well. 
And that obviously then will inflict, a, I guess, a, a time restriction, which does create pressure and mm-hmm. does, I guess, you know, bring that timing down. If that's needed or required, well, we just deal with it, with it then. And, and sometimes if people aren't ready, then obviously you can't push them anyway. Mm. So it's, uh, it's, it's not something that, that we're in the game of doing. It's more about making sure it, it aligns with what they, what they need. And again, right now, timing is not really of the essence with this, with this, with this scheme. Now, how can buyers tell if a broker knows what they're doing in this space? Because I can imagine it's quite complicated. Yeah. yeah, it is. And the funny thing is, the last couple of times that I have spoken to first-time buyers, they actually aren't aware of it at all. And so they come in with a particular mindset. Um, and I feel like your broker, if your broker doesn't mention it to you, if you're a first-time buyer, then they don't know about it. So well, the last 10 first-time buyers that I've had, I'd say about six of them have used this particular scheme and of those six about four didn't know that it existed it wasn't part of the strategy when they came to me to speak about options it was introduced to them as an idea uh, and then they were they were they were happy um, because they were able to 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 then keep more of their savings but there's a little yeah. bit of a caveat to that because that was something that we learned along the way and I'm happy to share that with you and, and, oh, and yes, guests as well we're- um yes um so so um so because obviously of the clients, and not all clients do need it, but again, uh, again, this is this is how we operate. Whether it's the a hundred percent, you know, right way, to, and the lenders may not like to hear that, but anyway, good luck to them. It doesn't bother me. I'm I'm for the clients. So, um, <laughs> so sometimes clients have saved more than five percent, and they they want to be able to avail it. And so, basically, provided it's not excessive, we can we can help them to do that. But um, but but if, but effectively, um, we then introduce it as a concept, and they then say that works out well for me because. I, I ideally wanted to use those funds to, to do some renovations later on or whatever it may be, um, you yeah. know, um, buy some new furniture because we're moving to the house and I hadn't thought about the furniture, things like that. So things associated with the house. And that, that is basically, if you have saved more, and this is only in the instance that you have saved more than 5%. If you haven't, yep. then obviously it's not going to apply. But in the instance that you've saved more than 5%, um, where it's not necessarily a thought, um, as long as those five, those the five percent isn't in the funds where the bank can see. You can use those surplus funds elsewhere and present it as a five percent deal. So, and that basically enables you to avail the scheme and then retain any surplus funds that you've saved above the five percent if you wanted to use it. So, so again, I can see this is a great option for people who want to keep a buffer. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, they might then put it in an offset, like. Um, you know, so there's, there's, uh, you know, and also I really do want to talk to someone who can give you all of these different options. Well, that's it. Because I'm thinking to myself, okay, if I've saved 12% for argument's sake, I'm still going to have to pay LMI. And so if I then talk to a really good broker, he says, well, actually, you know, you can save that. You don't have to pay the LMI and you can put that extra money in the offset potentially, um, or, buy something and there's a little bit of work and you can actually fix it up immediately. I mean, that's got to be, I, and I'd never even thought of that, actually. Well, the, the, the caveat to it is the You've bank can't You've got to be careful is what I'm, I'm, yes. I'm hearing yeah. there. Is, you got to, that would be <laughs> have it um, sitting somewhere bank. else and we won't yeah. go into, into detail about you that. Can, you can explain to the broker that you're intending to, and this is probably the way I'd recommend you do it, you tell the broker that you're intending to use, or it'll be worked in, in unison effectively, but uh, that you'd advise the broker that you're intending to use those funds for something else. So although I have the savings, it hasn't been apportioned to the purchase of my house. It's been apportioned to another expense that I'm incurring or I'm about to incur. Therefore, it is there now. And, and then effectively you do that. Because if the bank in the assessment of the application 
except that there's more than 5%, they will make you use that as contributing funds to the purchase. So you do have to put more than 5% down. So, um, so I guess so as long just, as you've got it. Yeah, that, that just raises another question that I think we it would be great for you to clarify for, for, for our listeners, and that is, is it 5% or nothing, or can you contribute 8% or yeah. 10%? And and this is going and to lead get, to a question that Veronica is yeah, going to can. have next. Yep. So it's 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 five percent basically, and anything more than five percent. So it can't be less. But if you've only got if you've got an eight percent, then you can still apply for it. Um. The the the, the and main, use your eight percent. Correct. As, you'd have oh, to use got that. Got it. Got so, it. Got it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so you, you, five or nothing. Five or bust. <laughs> no. Correct. Yeah. So yeah. you can you, you can contribute as much as you want. Again, the the main incentive of this scheme is to avoid LMI. LMI becomes payable when the loan exceeds the LVR of 80%. So in theory, if you're about to... Now, with a 5% contribution, your your application or your loan, value, your, your LVR will be 95% because you're borrowing the 95%. Mm. Um, so if you're going to contribute at 85% or if you've got a 15% deposit, your loan's going to be 85%. Um, and in that instance, um, you are going to pay LMI. So you could still use the scheme mm. to basically avoid paying the LMI. There are other lenders that have particular schemes around that too. Um, if you do have eighty five percent, it's 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 this one dollar LMI fee. So it may not meet this scheme in that instance may not be the right one. There might be other yeah. options for you there. Um, but yeah, so it doesn't it it, it doesn't but uh, it, it doesn't have to be. It's five. It's not five percent or nothing. The only thing I'll, I'll mention is there is something called the the family home guarantee. So that that's yes. the first home guarantee. Um, and I, I might have yeah, perhaps that was going to be asked later on. Yeah. There's the family <laughs> home guarantee. And that's the scheme that's designed for single parents. Um, and that that's effectively, it's the same set of, set of rules and the same set of, uh, I guess, uh, benefits. But the difference here is instead of needing a 5% saving, you can get away with just as, as little as a 2% saving. Um, so, sorry, 2% uh, deposit. So, yeah. so you've got to save 2% of the purchase price and then the, the scheme will come in. With both of those schemes, you do have to have the borrowing capacity yeah. to, 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 to borrow the remaining portion. So if you're only going to contribute 5%, or 2%, you need to have the respective 95% borrowing capacity or 98% borrowing capacity. So if that's not matching up, then the scenario won't work. Uh, and I guess that's another that's 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 another major thing to consider. But the family home guarantee is an is just a step up from the first home guarantee, and that's where a single parent can um, can 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 avail that particular scheme with with a 2% um, deposit. That was also broadened this 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 year. So. You don't just have to be a parent. You can also now be a legal guardian of the child. So if you're an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent, okay. you are also eligible for that. You weren't last year. It was only for parents. That scheme, that 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 has also been opened up a little yeah. bit this year to make it a little bit more flexible as well. Because I would imagine that the take-up for that, in fact, I was reading somewhere the take-up for that was quite small in terms of the yes. spaces. They had 10,000 spaces, was it? And yeah. it's really small take-up because I was wondering how realistic is it for most single parents to be able to afford the repayments on a loan for 98% of the property's yeah. value. So all inquiries I've had on that have never come to fruition. Uh, so, so, yeah, it's it's not – it's it, and, and purely because the, the borrowing capacity component, which I mentioned, uh, yeah. is, not, is, not, is not attainable. So very rarely are they going to be able to borrow the – yes, they can save the 2% potentially, but they're yeah. not going to have the borrowing capacities, more often than not, to, to fund the 98% borrow. Um, of the purchase, so it, it yeah, it doesn't it, it does fall away there. Nice, so and the income in, limitations yeah, exactly also right. apply. So yeah, yeah, good in principle, but I guess in theory, it, uh, sorry, yeah, good in principle, but in reality, not seems to be um, that popular. Yeah. Slightly an election, perhaps a um, to so come across I, like I you're trying you, to help. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to just circle back to the discussion around LMI because I think lend, uh, Lenders Mortgage Insurance, because we did interview Straw and Taylor um, a number of episodes ago. Um, Helia is one of the um, Lenders Mortgage Insurance providers. And I think that's worth, um, as part of the broader um, education of first home buyers in understanding all of your options, is to perhaps listen to that episode as well as this one so that you are getting a really good balance of the pros and cons of each of it because we haven't yet really delved into the cons and I'm really keen because you did mention that it was something you learnt along the way with one of your um, clients as he took through the process. You learnt something along, along the way. Can you, can you share with us? Yeah, that that was regarding the 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 way we we managed the well that they came to to, to me and and we looked at a strategy uh, and that was I had saved I had saved about uh, about eight and a half nine percent uh, and so we were able then to avail the scheme with them only contributing the five percent and using that three and a half percent something else uh, and that was that was how um uh, I guess there that was what I was alluding to a little bit earlier on. I've learned something today. We're there you go. I thought learning. it was five or nothing. <laughs> there you go. So that can actually, it, it's starting to add up for me um, in assessing whether you go down the lender's mortgage insurance route or um, this scheme. And obviously, there's limitations with the scheme about who can access and who can't access it and some price limitations. Whereas with lender's mortgage insurance, the limitations sit around yeah. your borrowing capacity um, and, and how much you're prepared to contribute. So there's pros and cons for, for both of it. But what what are the additional legal requirements, or what sort of what what are you entering into here? Because it is a relationship between you and the government that you're entering into. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that it's not it's not there's no it's not shared equity, or there's no there's no type of. And I know there are a few schemes around where the government can mm. actually have some type of equity in the property as well. There are some loans that that, that facilitate that. Um, the government is effectively acting as the guarantor. So as you know, and, and we'll speak to later, you know, guarantor loans, um, the government's just stepping in there and replacing the role of what a parent would have done, I guess, in that same situation. So, um, you know, as any guarantor would do, they'd need to seek legal advice. And obviously the government, I'm sure, would be doing that. Um, <laughs> but they're, they're, for, for, for a certain number of people that fit into their criteria, they are coming in and they are just saying, we are guaranteeing that this particular individual is going to repay the loan. Um, and we are, as the government, providing the surety there that, they don't need to contribute the twenty percent and still not have to pay LMI. And obviously, the LMI, well, the banks in particular, then then that's why not not to all banks. So some banks obviously have you know linked with government and have determined that this particular policy works for them. It works within their set of uh, rules, and they're happy to offer that product to consumers. Um, and, and there are some lenders out there that didn't like the sound of it, and therefore no. they're not part of the scheme. Now, whether it worked out that way or whether the government came in and only selected a number of banks, but I guess ultimately the government in itself is probably one of the uh, Strongest, um, I guess, you know, yeah, the uh, organizations, can, yeah, 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 correct. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. so, so you, 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 the idea is to move beyond this guarantor relationship, yeah, and to do that, um, and stand on your own two feet with your, your bank, um, yep. and to get your loan to value ratio down to 80%. Um, yes. I did read a statistic that in, uh, since the scheme started in, um, financial year 2020. Twelve percent of people using the scheme had transitioned um, by increasing the equity in their home to yep. the twenty percent, and then refinancing with, with the bank. Um, now, there's a number of ways that you can do that, but I think the market has certainly worked in in home buyers' favours to help them with that process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, and that principle is the same with with traditional guarantor loans as well. I, I guess the, the 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 point at to which the guarantor is no longer involved in the relationship is is the point at which the property value is eighty percent, or the property loan is eighty percent of the value of of the property. Um, and that major the majority of the heavy lifting there comes from the market, not from paying the loan down. So okay. obviously, yeah. the last couple of years there's been a little bit of an appreciation in in property prices overall, and obviously that's enabled a lot of people to get. Out of those arrangements, and that, the, the same principle also is, that exists for, for for normal guarantors. But yeah, so once that eighty percent threshold is is met, um, then effectively there's a refinance that can take place, and that refinance will alleviate the need of the government to be involved or the guarantor. And the serviceability aspect still applies there, of course. But yeah, it, it, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so so I guess the big difference from then and now is to, well, maybe maybe we're we're approaching a point where two years ago it wasn't super low, but. Um, two years ago, obviously, rates were, were a lot lower, and so serviceability was quite um, um, was quite was quite easy. Easy um, these days, <laughs> easier, yeah. I guess, is a better word to yeah. say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Today, obviously, it's, it's not the same. Borrowing capacity is not is not as what was then. So that could, in in itself, also uh, maybe throw out some challenges. Yeah. That's, that's another category, another area, if that does yeah. occur. Um, uh, and so that's yeah. Well, I won't I won't I won't go down that path because that might 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 open up a whole another can uh, yeah. no, a whole another a uh, lot of elements to talk about. But effectively, yeah. Um, you know, we're assuming borrowing capacity does exist. If it does, then once the the, the loan is eighty percent of the property value, then you can refinance away, and then it's obviously, you know, uh, there's no elements there of a guarantor and being involved anymore. So let, let's talk about another option. You mentioned it earlier, and you mentioned it a yep. few times, and we we've said at the at the head here that we want to talk about this. And that yep. is uh, another option for people who may not be um, able to qualify for the five percent government um, scheme, uh, or perhaps don't need to because they can get a guarantor loan. Yep. So, can you explain what these are? Yeah. So a guarantor loan is a very, I guess it's it's a traditional, it's a more traditional form than the last, I guess, method that we've been speaking about. Uh, it's existed for for quite a long time, um, and it's effectively a home loan where a home buyer's family member offers their own property as security on the loan. Um, so uh, it enables you to actually borrow to one hundred and ten percent of the purchase price. Um, and I'll I'll make an example as to how that would 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 work out in terms of what what you know you're doing. Um, but effectively, we are using uh, family members, and that's the key word to it. It does have to be a family member. So generally, it's, it's parents. Um, they've got some property somewhere. Um, they've got some some assets, and and those assets have equity available in it. Um, we are using that equity um, and that equity assurity to the to the bank that um, we are going to be borrowing more than eighty percent. Um, there is this 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 third, um, I guess, or this other property that we can use, and that allows the bank to. Uh, to borrow more than 80 to lend more than 80 percent and again the key benefit is you're not going to pay lmi if you are going to exceed that 80 percent lbr and also you potentially don't even need to save a deposit so in the instance where you are borrowing 100 or 105 or 110 percent you're in fact transacting without having any deposit at all so that that they are the two main benefits um that you can you can get from using a guarantor but obviously you do need to have a family member that's willing to do that so this is not the equity yeah yeah, this is not um, a family member lending you money. Yeah. This is a family member basically saying, "Look, I've got enough equity in my home, for example, um, yep. so that that can be a guarantee uh, against the twenty percent that you don't have to Correct. buy your home, um, and potentially to pay for costs as well, such as stamp duty, et cetera, et cetera, and legals and whatever." So, okay, that's quite interesting. 
I would imagine there's some additional legal requirements with this yep. one though, right? Because the parents or the grandparents, whoever's house is sort of on the line if you don't pay. No. So what what has to be considered and, and what are the, the yeah. hurdles to jump on this one? So I guess the first thing that I generally get in this instance is A, mum and dad are don't want to give me their financials or they don't want to share the financials with the application or they don't want to be, you know, they don't want to share their bank, you know, their bank statements, their pay slips, things like that. So I, I guess the first thing that a parent would need to consider or a guarantor would need to consider is do they want to disclose that type of information or not? Because there are lenders that don't require any information other than the equity information from the from the from the application. So and that's generally the most common way we proceed, um, because it's already an onerous request from a child to do this, and so to then get a whole set of subst- uh, financials and 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 pay slips and things like that, it, it can set, sort of put them over the edge to say, "Listen, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to do this." So, but again, that does limit your your options. There are only a few lenders that don't require that much or that level of detail for the guarantors. Um, so that's the main thing that we that we get. Um, but other than that, there is obviously a, a tying up of the of the asset that the parents own to this transaction. And so they are liable in some ways that ultimately that if there is a yeah. default or something does occur, um, that they are going to be responsible for sorting that out. And that means that their property could be in a firing line. Um, and again, it's a conversation that I have quite often um, and it, there is no two ways about it. You can't you can't hide from that fact. Parents have to obtain or guarantors have to obtain legal advice, independent legal advice as part of the application process. And that's obviously explained to them and they understand that's the case. So you need to go in it, I guess, knowing that that may be a potential. However, again, I've never had a situation where that's occurred. Um, banks will, will do it as a very, very, very last resort because um, because it's it's basically, it's a current affair kind of stuff. And so they don't want to be in that situation where they are taking a parent, you know, parents out of their home and yeah. um, whatever it may be. And that's where in these type of applications, if they've got investment properties, we can use an investment property instead of the, the, the owner-occupier home. Yeah. Um, and there are other, other, other methods there. But ultimately, there's no shying away from the fact that there is a tying up of, uh, and so we've got to be mindful of, of that. Um, it's not something that, that we see. And, and, and in fact, first-time buyers are pretty diligent, we tend to find, um, in terms of repaying loans. I'd imagine that, you know, if you're a, a couple who are using one of the parents as a guarantor, there might be some issues there if you were to break up. So I would imagine that there needs to be some some written agreements yeah. in place. Is it is there sort of like a templated agreement that is recommended or, um, you know, is that part of the legal advice that the parent gets? Yeah. So you're saying in the instance where a couple was to break up and mm. then what happens? And what, to, yeah. 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 Uh, that's definitely something that, that that's a over over and above a mortgage broker's head um, in terms of yeah. how you would how you'd mitigate for that. To be fair, I'm not sure how many uh, people are going into guarantor loans thinking like that and creating those types of agreements. Again, oh, they're not. God, we would highly encourage everybody to yeah. think like that. Well, it's it's not a requirement for the lender to see it. Uh, so so I generally will never see it. Um, now whether the first home buyer is diligent enough to to obtain that, um, I imagine it would be part of. A, a settlement or a, or you know, it'd be a family court matter effectively that would then determine that and and i'm not yeah that's that's again going into a whole <laughs> another foray don't of um break yeah. up if you well, buy a home, you know it, don't i think break the, up <laughs> the time to have these hard conversations is always when you like Before. each other not when yeah. you don't yeah. like each other well and and yeah. the, the, it's like doing will isn't it you've got to go through all the scenarios what if you die first what if he dies first where who will look it's, after the children where will, like the conversations that are really awkward really uncomfortable 
but yeah. much easier to have when you actually like each other yeah. than when you're sitting across um, a boardroom table with a lawyer on each side. Yeah. Well, I mean, lo- life happens. Um, things happen. I, I had a, a conversation recently. Uh, it was like that, and, and it, it was a guarantor scenario. And and it was it was the the female applicant. So it was the, it was the it was the wife. And she called me, and she was like, "What happens if I die?" And I was like, "To my and, and to my parents." And I'm like, "That's that's a great question." And she goes, "What happens if my husband dies, or if we die at the same time?" Yeah. Now, pretty not you know not not the type of conversations you're having when you're about to buy a house. It's obviously all exciting, but but important discussions to have absolutely. Mm-hmm. And obviously. As a broker, we can't give advice in that regard. But my first recommendation was her was to you need to speak to an insurance broker or somebody that specialises in insurance because in the event that you do or something does happen, um, you know, God forbid, um, you would you you would have an insurance policy that would be able to step in and effectively, you know, uh, I guess yeah. alleviate your parents from that situation. Um, and again, um, yeah, that, so 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 having those discussions, whether it's about a breakup potentially or. Or you know what happened in the event of of something you know, and it doesn't even have to be death. It could be a permanent disability. It could yeah, be yeah. you know, it could be something or, or even temporary disability, and yeah. you can't work for a period of time, and all of a sudden you've lost your job or things like that. So that's where insurances for that type of thing come in, and being sure you know you're about to make a first purchase. It's the biggest investment, biggest purchase of your life. Have you got your insurances adequately sorted so that if something does happen, you do. But in terms of the breakup, that, that's yeah. That's, I guess, a step further, and that's definitely where you'd be speaking to your solicitors about that in terms of how yeah, you'd be structuring that. Yeah, strongly so. encourage those conversations yeah. and and putting together. I I used a guarantor loan when I bought my, bought my first property in 1998, and my parents put up the equity in their property um, to allow me to get 110. percent My yep. brother and I bought the property together, so it was a real family event. Um, yep. I, I couldn't have done it without that but we did go through all the scenarios what if what if one wanted to sell yeah. the other one didn't what if you know and and one of those scenarios did come up i i found someone partnered up and moved to um another state to work yeah. and um the agreement was really clear my brother had the first opportunity to buy me out at a valuation price boom we knew what to do it was you know yes. it, it just prevented any of those sorts of oh well I don't, I don't have, well, what are I you going to do? Yeah, I want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I want to do that. Yeah. Do you know, um, we, I've just thought of a couple of other episodes. We'll put links in the show notes for, we mentioned earlier uh, the LMI episode. We did interview an uh, insurance broker who specialises in life insurance and trauma and TPD and those things. So we'll pop yeah, but- that episode in. And we'll also pop in the one which was with a lawyer, Barry Frake, I think his name is, um, about agreements, you know, when you're going into yeah. these sorts of agreements with your parents. Mind you, that's more around if your parents are going to gift you or lend you or, you know, give you money There's in other ways. There's some good ideas to think about but in that one. Yeah, there are some mm. things in that discussion. So, I'll pop those in the show notes. Now, Michael, have you ever seen things go bad in this sort of scenario? No, no. no. Uh, from, from my experience since 2014, since I've been doing this, I've never had a situation where a guarantor loan has gone uh, sour. Um, the only things that I've had happen in those type of scenarios are valuations not stacking up, um, in terms of the scenarios that we've dealt with a- again. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been quite a smooth thing and, and that's why it's, it's, uh, for me, it's been a positive experience. So it's, it's been positive all around. Um, and even, and the clients I'm still obviously in touch with today and it, it's all going strong. So, so far it's, it's hasn't, there's nothing I can report on that, you know, that has made me think that oh be be mindful or be wary obviously you do need to be um but yeah no it's been pretty smooth sailing in that regard knock on wood because i'm sure now that i've said that <laughs> <laughs> they come out of left field yeah, i've exactly. been doing this for, for over 20 years and every now and then i'll go 
haven't come, haven't come across that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. we this- had one this week a scenario that we hadn't come across before. It's it's yeah. n- it's it's always changing. It's never ending, really. Yeah. I was just going to give you a little bit of a rundown, if you want, in terms of how it might look like in in, in terms of a structure and then what portion of a loan would be a guarantor component, yep. if yeah, you right. want. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so, so, so I'm going to use, the, I'm using New South Wales as a reference point because that's where I'm based. Um, and I'm going to use a scenario where we do have a stamp duty um, because we can borrow for it. So we'll just allow for that. Obviously, if you're under the stamp duty concession threshold, you wouldn't be. Yeah. Um, so if we're purchasing a New South Wales property valued $1.1 million, Stamp duty is going to be around $45,000. Now, these are just indications. Yeah. They're, they're close to the mark, not exact. Conveyancing is going to be around $2,500. So, the, the total funds required um, for a $1.1 million purchase would be $1,147,500. So, in that scenario, um, we know the property value is $1.1, but our loan amount is going to be higher. It's going to be $1.147. That, in fact, is a... Um, LVR of 104%. So we are exceeding the 100% value, obviously, of the property. Um, and then in that instance, we would need to work out the 80% value of the purchase of, of $1.1 million, which is $880,000. Um, and then basically we deduct the, the $1,147,500 minus the eight eighty, which gives us a loan amount or a value of $267,500. And that would be the portion that the guarantor is effectively liable for uh, and and Got that it. is what that's what they're not liable for the whole perch for the whole mm-hmm. loan amount mm-hmm. they're actually only uh, they're only liable for their portion um right. and, and so oh that's so, a good so distinction that, so they're not guaranteeing the whole loan the, the no, whole loan yeah no. correct so they're guaranteeing that particular portion and and the way that that, that translates at the other side of the equation is you, your loan will actually be split into two now, this is not for all lenders, but most of the lenders that we utilize do this. So you can actually see your component and the guarantor, although they're both your components, yeah, uh, sure. you, you're, you're without the guarantor component and you're the guarantor's component. And obviously what we generally recommend, and this is just our way of doing it, it's not necessarily the, the, the right way, is is we, we want to make sure that we're doing some additional repayments to the portion that is the guarantor comp- portion. And, and if we are going to direct additional repayments, it's on that split. So we yeah. can pay that down quicker. And obviously, in unison with the property value increasing, we can then alleviate parents or our, our guarantors from that particular situation or scenario. Oh, that's cool. That's mm, so you can quarantine idea. that amount yes. and basically yes. and target it in terms of your repayments. That's pretty cool. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that either. This yeah. is why we have guests on, Michael. Well, this well, is why we have guests. The other thing that you may not know is some lenders allow buyer's agents fees to be part of that as well. Really? So oh. you, can actually, you can actually borrow buyer's agency fees. Um, as part of that, again, some lenders go up to 110% of the value. Um, uh, oh, some could be 105. Some are just 100. So it does does a, a, a vary the options. But yeah, potentially for first home buyers, um, it doesn't mean that a buyer's agent would come into play if you don't have the funds provided. You have the borrowing capacity. Obviously, yeah. that's the yeah. that's yeah. the biggest part of that. You can also up. borrow. You can also borrow for um, for buyer's agency fees. So there you go. And this is for people who can afford to make the repayments on 104 yep. 5% of the property's value. So that can't you know, save the deposit. <laughs> Stop for everyone, that's, this yeah. one. That's yeah. what, it's more for people that just haven't saved. So they, they might have been earning and yeah. earning well and they've been yeah. spending and travelling and, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, hold on, you know, I've met the person I love and when they marry or I've decided yeah. that I want to buy a property and mm. all of a sudden it changes and within a matter of, you know, months or, or you know, it's like I need to buy it. Oh, I haven't saved that 20%. Then that's, that's <laughs> obviously where it comes in. Um, 
Very interesting. Good stuff. Now, Michael, we have a question that we ask every guest, and yes. it's usually one that Megan reminds me that we forgot to ask, so I'm really impressed with myself that I remembered to ask you. Well, I was flicking back up the page just as you were highlighting it to remind yourself <laughs> to ask it. <laughs> and that is, you can ask it if you want, Megan. What's our what question is, for the guest? <laughs> what is the one thing you know now that wish you wish you knew when you were a first home buyer? Yeah, that's a good question. Caught you. Yeah, it did. So I used a guarantor loan as well as my first home purchase. Um, so I was aware of those. But <laughs> I guess for me, it was probably more around the additional, so the insurances side of things. Um, it was more about making sure that I, I didn't, I wasn't aware at the time that I needed to, you know, increase my life insurance and my things like that. So having a discussion mm. with an insurance broker about those elements mm. that don't come to me naturally. Um, uh, so it was more about that. And obviously at the time I did, I, we spoke to an insurance broker and we did it, review all of it, obviously not just, you know, the, the, the property, making sure that that was all accounted for, but obviously our, our income protection and, 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 and things like that. So yeah. that was probably something that I, I would want to go back on and, and maybe even do a little bit better perhaps, because I did change that a couple of years later. So, so that's probably the biggest thing. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, I guess what, what. I bought in Sydney as well. And, and the other thing I learned there was the importance of family. Uh, for, like, so being able to ask the question to have some act as a guarantor as well. So if that's going to be a scenario that works out for yourself, then be comfortable to have the conversation with family. Some people do hold off on it uh, and don't. Uh, they're, they're afraid to bring it up. Um, but obviously, you know, hopefully you're in an environment where you can at least ask the question or, or, or create a conversation about that. Cool. Right. Thank you so much. That was really meaty. We've got lots of really a good juicy tips out of that yeah. and, and, and a, a much better understanding. Certainly I do and I'm pretty certain Megan speaking for Absolutely. Megan as well. Absolutely. Much better understanding about how both of those, uh, those I guess, options yes. work. I've got one um, other tip if you want me to throw ooh, it in. Yeah, Go, please do. Yeah. Because the other question that I get all the time is, okay, so I've got, I've got, I borrowed 100% of the purchase, but I don't have a deposit. I haven't, I haven't, I don't have any savings. So, how if I'm successful at auction this weekend, or if I'm successful, successful in my negotiation, how do I, how I write I gonna, the deposit? How do I write the deposit? Of course, generally it's ten percent. Yeah. Um, and so the way that we get around that is something called a deposit bond, which you may or may not have heard of. Um, yeah. And so, so that's something that with a few first time buyers that I've worked with, we've, now there are a set of criteria for 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 having one. You can't just get one. Um, you do need to have either equity in property or have a parent act as a guarantor for the mm -hmm. deposit for the deposit bond um and so with that you're able to then not have to worry about having the deposit saved um you can get the deposit bond and obviously you can the biggest thing to that is to make sure the vendor is and the age real estate agent are going to accept that because obviously real estate agents you know when they get the deposit their commission generally so if they're yep. seeing a piece of paper instead of a check or a transfer in they might be a bit hesitant but we'll clear it with the vendor clear it with the with the real estate agent if you can then effectively you're enabled you're then able to transact on that give the deposit bond in lieu of the of, of the of the deposit uh, and then obviously that settlement you're going to be funding the full purchase and so you don't in that instance need to have any savings so that's the last thing that i'd mention cool. right it's a good to thing to, to raise there i mean deposit bonds interesting because you're absolutely right you do have to get that agreed to before yes. making before you make your offer Absolutely. Uh, or before you go to auction. And certainly when we're advising our clients in my buyer's agency business, that's the last option on the list that we give yeah. them. We say if all else fails um, and you have a deposit bond, then we'll 
going to bat for you, but there's other more flexible options if you do have the funds. But if you don't, it is an important thing to be aware of. So thank you for that because we'd not asked you about that. Michael, this is a great chat. Really appreciate it. We'll have the link to your uh, website, which is Lens Street, um, in the show notes, as well as all the other things we've talked about, which are fabulous resources for our listeners. No problems at all. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it very much. Great to talk to you. In this episode, we've only touched on a tiny part of the huge amount of things you need to know to become an educated first-home buyer. There is so much more for you to do. You can learn all of the steps in the right order and avoid all of the mistakes that others have made in our 10-step online course for first-home buyers. If you'd like to learn more about the right process and avoid making rookie errors, become an educated home buyer. Head over to the website, check out your first home buyer guide, the course that we have created for you. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you've liked what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. It helps other people find us. And of course, I know it's a bit cringy, but we're going to ask for five stars. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with more priceless stuff.